Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to serve as your body, to serve with the body, to serve for the body, but also as a witness to the wider community, to be transforming the community in the name of Jesus, to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, as we enter into this time now, this time set aside for your word, we know that your spirit has already been at work through worship, through communion, through testimony. Your spirit has already been speaking to hearts, minds, bodies. For those in the room, Father, for those watching online, we wanted to continue to declare your healing, your revelation, your restoration, renewal. Father, that we might not only know that our chains are broken, but we might stop carrying them as well. Holy Spirit, that you would continue your work through this teaching. If there's something in the words that I speak that is not of your spirit, that it would just simply fall away. And that everything else, you would continue to speak as you do in a way that I can't comprehend to every single one of us. Beyond the words that I speak, beyond the annoying habits, beyond whatever might be distracting us, that you would speak into each of us wherever we are, whatever is happening right now for us. And we just open this word to receive more of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So these letters to Timothy and Titus, there's two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. Uh, Timothy's leading the church in Ephesus, which has got some issues about it. Uh, Titus is leading a church in uh, Crete, that we, or Crete or Crete that we don't know a lot more about. Um, but Paul, through these letters, gives attention to two main things. Uh, those two main things, uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Following Jesus, therefore, is to be lived out in a practical expression. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. It's another thing then to say, what does this look like in my life? It's another thing, as Jared highlighted, as our team have highlighted, it's one thing to sing a song about our chains being broken, we're raised from dead to life. It's another thing to actually actively live that out in a way that expresses that life uh, in, a, in a resurrection, in a hope-filled sense. So following Jesus to be lived out in a practical expression. And the other thing that I think Paul spends a lot of time in in these letters is what does it look like to care for the community of faith in such a way that that bears witness and testimony to the wider community that have, who have not yet known or encountered the living Jesus. So on the one hand, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are some things that you need to explore. There are some things that you might need to put in place. If you're exploring who Jesus is, there are some questions that you might want answered. There are some things that you might want to check off or make certain of. But once you are a follower of Jesus, there are some practical implications of that, regardless of your age. Regardless of your age. They've got to be applied within your local environment, within local setting, with your, lo- with your personal experience. There's no doubt about that. But the way in which you then follow Jesus is as a part of a body of Christ, the family of God, the imagery that you have there. And that then is to serve as the wider witness to the community who don't yet know Jesus. We care for one another in here. We gather. The gathering is important. The scattering and making sure that that's consistent as we go on 
is just as important. I want to suggest today, as you know, a lot of weeks, but also um, to state it really clearly, knowing Jesus, worshipping Jesus, following Jesus must shape our character. And our character informs our behaviour. The letter that the these letters that Paul writes, they addresses poor, but he addresses poor behaviour. He spends a lot of time addressing poor behaviour amongst people, and encouraging the ministers Timothy and Titus, the young pastors who he's called, who he's trained, who he's mentored. Now this is what you need to do. This is, and some of it's really quite challenging. There's people there that have been doing things for a long period of time. There is people there who have got a hold. There's been a a leadership vacuum and people have just started doing their own thing. There's people behaving badly. There's people who are just saying, oh, it doesn't really matter. No one's paying any attention to us anymore anyway. Is all that sounding familiar to you? Um, And Paul is saying, actually, it does matter. It does matter. It must matter. If we actually want to influence our society, if we actually want to influence our community, it does matter. It must matter. Following Jesus informs your character and your character informs your behaviour. I hadn't written to get so fired up just then. But um, uh, the letter addresses poor behaviour and because in this community there are argumentative people, there are destructive people, there are people who are dishonouring one another, causing disunity. They are disobedient, not only to the leadership but to the heart of Jesus and they are disruptive. And then Paul lists these these leadership qualities, these leadership characters, I think, as a direct response to the behaviour of older people or people who have declared their faith in Jesus, but somehow those two things are not lining up. Behaviour is a reflection of our character, an insight of who or what has our hearts and that is an expression of what it means to care for the community so these this language that's being used uh, Paul writes this list for elders overseers so those two words can be interchangeable those who oversee the life and the ministry those who have spiritual wisdom and the deacons those who do the act of serving And as I say, this is for the church, the body of Christ, the gathered body, but also for the wider community. So I'm going to read through this list. Read chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Uh, If you want to look it up later, there's also some other text. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9 also has these lists. I think there's a similar list in uh, Romans. So you can just explore these lists, explore the significance and the power of them. So let me read them first. Paul says... Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer, and some some translations might have elder as a really clear distinction, is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited, um, obnoxious, stuck up, depends how you want to see that, full of their own self-importance and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you read through Paul's letters, he... He doesn't hold back. 
Um, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons. So here's the shift here. Um, but it doesn't actually make the role any less significant. Deacons, those who serve, those who do the acts of serving, are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. It's a demanding list, isn't it? Put up your hand if you feel like you can tick off all those things on the list. Sack me now. Um, Paul uses this language, so a couple of highlights, I think, out of this. Uh, Paul uses this uh, language called uh, be above reproach. Uh, some translations might be to say blameless or without fault. In other letters, Paul will say, well, we all have fault. We are a depraved humanity. So what's going on here? Well, I think what he's actually, in some ways, is actually saying, we've got to come under the grace of Jesus. If we walk around saying, I've got it all under control, if we don't own up to our faults, there's something wrong with that. If we're not willing to confess our faults, you've seen those bumper stickers and apologies if you have the bumper stickers. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. You've seen those? It's kind of become a dismissive catch cry. It means I can get away with whatever I want because I'm a Christian. No, it does not. It often means in conversations that if someone does something wrong, someone will sit there and go, oh, but I'm forgiven and we're all just meant to move on past it. No, we are not. We are Christians who are called to be above reproach. So if we fall short, if we miss the mark, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we've all fallen short of what God intended for us in one way or another, whether that's character or behaviour, we are meant to have the humility and the courage and come under the grace of God that says, those chains have been broken. I will confess that those chains have been broken. I will confess those chains that have tied me down or bound me up so I can walk in the freedom that God's got for me. But we would rather say, or the Christian church has a history of saying, I'm a Christian, I'm just forgiven. Therefore, I can get away with whatever I want. Oh, please, hogwash. And then we wonder why our testimony and our witness doesn't have any impact on the community. Because let me tell you something. Even non-Christians can be forgiven. Um, There's a lot of statements in here about men, isn't there? So it would be really easy to look at this um, and say, oh, this this is just about men. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think was behaving badly in this community? Who do you think the leadership community was? Was it males or females? Men. So who do you think Paul's going to address? In another place, he certainly talks to the women and he says, hey, women, if you've got plenty of money, don't flaunt it. Don't dress up so you make other people feel bad. And especially don't flaunt it in a way that you leave other people in their poverty. There's other places where he addresses men. So I don't think this is actually a list that says only men can be in leadership. And I know it's been used like that. 
and I'm happy to, for the conversation, I know there might be people who disagree with me in this, I don't think this is actually a list that says only men can lead. I think it's a list that says the men who are in leadership, pull your socks up. Get it together and work it out. Because at the moment, your heart for Jesus is not reflected in your character or in behaviour. Imagine reading that. There's not too many men that I know that would receive that very well. I don't think this is an exclusive. Only men in leadership. You've got to ask, why does he feel it necessary to say you should be a husband to only one wife? Could it be that in this community, there's um, in this Greek community where they, their God in the Greek community is the God of sex, the God of uh, Artemis, I think it is, and uh, God who uh, fertility. And so, you know, it's common. You might have multiple sexual partners. You might have multiple expressions in your house. Uh, it's the model of marriage that's been demonstrated. You know, you want to spread your seed as much as possible. And Paul says, hey, come on. Following Jesus has got to be distinctive. And guys, I understand maybe you've been leading this way and maybe that's the way that you've done things when you didn't know Jesus, but now that you know Jesus, this is the expectation. This is what I'm calling out on you. Would have been a tough word for this group of people to hear. And the management of homes is tricky. I've had people say, oh, I can't be a leader because my kids aren't in faith or they've walked away from church. Um, and look, that's, that's, I don't think that that's actually what Paul is saying here. What if Paul is actually saying, um, what kind of relationship do parents have with their children? What if it's as simple as that? Why, why aren't? Kids, and you know, Kate has highlighted the importance and the value of parents, but also the ongoing conversation and their capacity to remain in relationship, to provide healthy boundaries, but to stay in relationships of grace and of hope and of healing. I don't think this letter and these lists is about men being in control over their homes in a way that just says, well, I'm the man, therefore I'm in charge. I don't think that's what Paul's offering at all. It seems, and we've used this list at times to actually suppress or even hide bad behaviour. Now, I don't want to lessen the expectation or the desire. This is, this is a demanding list. This remains a demanding list. I'm not lessening any of that. I'm not denying any of that. But please don't use it. Don't use it to put ourselves up higher than another. Don't use it to suppress other people because that's not God-honouring either. So Paul, in, um, he says, not all will be elected elders, but we can all disciple others in the character and behaviour that makes a faith community distinctive, attractive, interesting and inviting as we are transformed by Jesus. Are you someone who disciples others? Are you someone who speaks to others in a way that honours Jesus, even if they don't know Jesus? Are you someone who's hospitable? Are you teachable? Are you willing to be discipled by others? 
Are you willing to receive correction? Are you willing to have your behavior or your attitude questioned? That's what it is to be discipled. Are you willing to sit down with someone and examine the heart of Jesus alongside your heart? My question in all this as I thought about this is when should we start training people to lead the church and therefore to lead the community? At what age do you think that should happen? Just as a, you know, go home and think about it. When do you think we should start training people to lead, shape and influence our communities? Whether that's our school community, whether it's various boards, whether that's a church community. Because I can tell you, if we start saying to people, oh, we should think about people who are going to be elders in the life of our church, who's around? And we're looking for the 25, the 30, 50-year-olds, but we've done nothing to train them when they're 15. We're in trouble. And if we've done nothing to train those 15-year-olds when they're 10 or 5, those 15-year-olds are in trouble. We all know, I don't have to point out, the world is rapidly changing and it's changing in a way that we can't keep up. And it's a greater call, I think, for the church to remain distinctive, to remain hope-filled. I think we are poised for an opportunity like no other. For Christians to stand up and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, I don't agree with that, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is why. Because he's the one who gives me hope. He's the one who gives me purpose. He's the one who gives me meaning. He's the one who did this in my heart, who changed my behaviour who helped me see who I was and calls me into who he calls me to be, who he sees me to be from the moment or even before I was born. And people will laugh at us, they'll mock us, they'll abuse us. Yep, we all know that story. That doesn't mean we get angry at those people. That just means we press deeper into the heart of Jesus. Start training our children to serve or lead, to be people of influence in their schools, in our community, um, and then they'll lead church and organisations. And it's not too late to learn. People who grow up in their adulthood, they don't know Jesus, become a follower of Jesus, their heart and their character aligns with Jesus. Learn to small in serve ways. Small in serve ways? Serve in small ways. None of you noticed. Are you awake or what? I was just testing you. It's... It's what my grade three teacher used to say. You make a mistake on the board and someone pointed out, I was just testing you. Um, no, I made a mistake. Learn to serve in small ways. See, sometimes when we get in positions or we get highly energised, we get really passionate. Oh, I want to serve. I'm really good at this. No, 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 no. You've got to be tested first. That's not my rules. I don't say that to be difficult. You've got to be tested first. Do you do small things well? Do you walk past a piece of rubbish or is it someone else's job? Are you willing to go, the dish, go and do the dishes or is it someone else's job? Are you willing to go out of your way because Horsham's so far apart to pick someone else up or is it just you know, three minutes outside your normal route that it's too hard? Be tested. What's your heart determining? If, so, if you come up and tell me, and I've, I've, we've lost people who are served, they come and they, they love the church, they love what they're doing. Oh, I can play guitar. Fantastic. Would you like to welcome people on the door or do the computer? 
come along to the training night. We'd like to know your heart. You want to get to know us, you know, three, six months. We can continue the conversation. So many of these people I never see again. All right, they've been tested. They've been tested. And some of us will feel like we've been tested. Maybe we're not doing things in the way that we'd really love to or we're not given permission to do. And maybe we are being minister critic or whatever else. Well, you've been tested. Here's the question through all this. Because our... Let me go back. The challenge that we have is not just to say it's because the Bible says so and therefore bang, but to understand why the Bible might say that and ultimately who the Scriptures point to. And our lives are designed to give glory to Jesus. Our lives are designed to give glory to Jesus. And as I was preparing this message, this question came to mind. Which well are you going back to? Which well are you going back to? Where do you go when things go wrong? Where do you go when you don't get your own way? Where do you go when someone doesn't let you do what you think you should be able to do? Where do you go when you have a disagreement with someone? Where do you go when your season is finished in one area and you don't know what the next area is? Do we go back to Jesus so that he can do the refreshment, so that he can do the healing, so that he can do the renewing? Or do we go back into our old habits? Or do we go back into the way that the community operates, into the way that the world operates? Or do we buy into what other people say? Oh, just ignore them. Do whatever you want. Really? Which well do we return to when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're thirsty, when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, when we're disillusioned? What is shaping your character? What is shaping your heart? I remember when I, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how old I was, I couldn't tell you. My first role in uh, church ministry was putting the uh, song words on the overhead projector. Do you remember that? Who, who remembers the overhead projector in church? Oh, a few people. Wow, wasn't that a scandal? Well, it was, yeah. <laughs> We're using technology in church, my goodness. We're getting rid of hymn books, my goodness. Um, for some of us, it'll be what the Alexander hymn books, the Sankey's hymn books, or the old Church of Christ hymn books. They weren't being used as much. Woo! Then that upset some people. I used to go on Sunday mornings, I used to get the projector, I used to plug it in, and I used to make sure that light was lined up perfectly on that screen. And then I would get, and then you'd put, you know, if you just put this sheet, you know, transparent. Some of you kids won't know what this is, will you? <clears throat> I should have had an example, shouldn't I? I should have had a photo for you. Like, we've got an overhead projector at the back, mate, haven't we? So, no, it's, uh, 
But um, you used to get these clear sheets of paper and words printed on a big black bold. And, you know, if you whack them on the middle of the projector, the people up the back would complain that they couldn't see. So you have to put it at the top of the projector and get it aligned. And it was all reversed. So you had to make sure you put it on the right way because you didn't want to do it while people were singing. Whoa, the pressure. The pressure. And then I, then I graduated from the overhead projector and I uh, went to the three-channel sound mixing. Um, That was pretty tough. Uh, every now and then I locked up the church building. I vacuumed, I cleaned, I set up seats. Um, I packed up seats after youth group. Um, all sorts of things that I conducted in serving. I, I remember my, um, my, and I you know, generally loved it. Might have had a few conversations. I remember particularly having an argument with a brother, um, who is not in this room, um, <laughs> about... Uh, about doing the overhead projectors and how it was done. It didn't look pretty. Um, Dad soon corrected our behaviour and our attitude about that. Um, I remember in student ministry, so I'd been doing ministry, I felt called into ministry, much to my disgust for a little while, um, and uh, preparing for a service that I was leading. Now, if you've seen me lead a service, um, you know it's not my primary gifting. But I was leading service because that was a need in the local church that I had. And we're having terrible trouble with this timing in a song. Um, and there, you know, there was, didn't really have a lot of music support or uh, vocal support. You know, if it was another backup singer, I would have said, you just lead it and get it done. Uh, and I was getting frustrated because, like I say, it's not my primary gifting or my skill. And the musos were frustrated because, well, for the same reason. They knew it wasn't my primary gifting or my skill set. And I turned to the music, I remember turning to the musos. I don't know if Judy might have actually been playing the piano at this. I don't think, I don't think so. Um, but um, that's another story. Ivan and Judy knew me as a student minister and they were still excited about me coming to Horsham. Go figure. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I, I remember turning to a, a couple of musos. I said, look, I don't know. We just got to get it done. Get the job done. These people starting to come in the church, you know, because we're all in a holy space preparing for the Lord. Um, it was poor behaviour that needed correction. My heart might have been right, the behaviour. And it was corrected. George Warren, the minister of the time, said, Simon, that was, that was poor form, mate. You need to do some work on that. You need to do some work. And I, look, that's not the only time. It's the only time I wanted to tell you about. Um, I'm sure you can go around the room and you can find some people who wanted to tell you about some things where I've shown some poor form. But the Royal, let's, uh, the Royal Commission certainly demonstrated, hasn't it? The Royal Commission has certainly demonstrated what happens when we turn a blind eye to poor behaviour. When we don't at least ask some wise questions. When we don't test people. The Royal Commission's certainly revealed some things in the church and other institutions about what happens when we don't go back to the right well. When we put our faith more in people and their experience or what they've done or who they are rather than in their heart and their character. Leaderships have come undone because we've allowed one or two negative voices or complainers to breed disunity and dysfunction. And we also have to take responsibility uh, for the response that I make towards others. I know that you know, I'm six foot three, I don't know, what's that, about 182 centimetres, 183 centimetres. Um, if it's wrong, you'll get over it. Um, but, you know, I know that I can appear large to people. 
And I know my, uh, Andrea uh, and other people have said, Simon, stand up. But I, I'm always, I've always been really conscious about my size. Uh, and because I know that some people are made to feel small. I, I don't really do that intentionally. Uh, but I know that in the way that I speak, you know, there's been times where I've been overbearing, where I've been demanding, and so I tend to shrink into myself a little bit. Um, but I guess the question in that, like, you know, I know I've got to consider the words that I speak. I know that I've got to consider the attitude that I speak. But why do I need to shrink down? Sometimes we've got to take responsibility for the part that I play in the relationship. You know, why do people find me scary? Well, sometimes that could be because of my attitude or the words that I've spoken or the conversations that we've had. Because if you don't know by now, if you ask me a question, you get an answer generally. Sometimes we don't like the answer, do we? And so for some, that's made me appear to be scary, which I've never done intentionally. And so we've got to take responsibility for the part that we bring into conversation in these relationships, as much as I've got to take responsibility for the way in which people might see me at times. In all that we are and all that we do in our leadership quest and our desire to be leaders, if we have a desire to be an elder, we shouldn't begrudge small starting places and neither should we begrudge returning to small starting places. You know, I'm I'm really aware at the moment that one stage in my life in the near future, I don't know how near that is, um, I won't be doing this. And there's a part of me that's actually looking forward to just standing on the door and welcoming people as a roster duty. But I've got to have some work done in me in that. There'll be some grief in that, I'm sure. I'm not making a resignation statement, it's okay. Or maybe some of you are hoping I am. I'm not, <laughs> too bad. Um, but it's, it's the heart, you understand, it's like the heart that goes with the behaviour. It's the character that goes with the behaviour. Some of us are so upset still about what we're not able to do from 1991. Did you know Jesus All I Am is from 1991? Did you see that? I didn't realise that song was that old. Just a side note. We can be so upset about the past and we haven't come back to the well. Jesus has got so much more for us, but we haven't come back to the well for him to cleanse us and purify us and restore us and renew us and give us a new perspective on what's happened. If I was writing this letter today, and I'm not saying I'm adding anything to Scripture, I'm just saying if I was to write to a church today, I would add all the, I would include all those things. But I would also say that our leaders should not be judgmental but discerning. Not judgmental but discerning. They've got to have a heart that just pays attention to what's happening in the community, what happens in conversations. They've got to show some discernment and some willingness to lay down what I might think to pick up what God wants to actually do. I think we should be critical thinkers, able to enter into a healthy God-honouring conversation to discern what it is that God wants. And I think we need leaders who are willing to persevere in faith so that the Spirit might bear His fruit in us. We need resilient people in leadership. We need people who are willing to say, all right, God, that didn't work. All right, God, I'm struggling here. God, you need to bear your fruit. We need people who are willing to serve even in dry times, when it's hard. You know, I'm going to serve anyways, ways small and large. I'm going to lead in leadership. Even if I don't have that title, I can be a leader. 
I can be an elder without the title. I can be a server without the title. We get the title because it's evident that we've been doing it. It's evident our heart is right, our character is right, our behaviour is set. We need people who will persevere in faith so that the Spirit bears His fruit in us. People who will... um, And the other question I would ask, how do they give or receive instruction? So we need to press into relationship with God, come back to the well, in season and out of season. When you're going well, when you're on fire, when you're reading scriptures, when you're ticking boxes, when your worship is beautiful, when you're part of, and that's all part of the process for the Spirit to bear His fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness and goodness. That's all part of the process when things are going well. Just as much is part of the process when things aren't going so well. That's also part of the seasons required for the Spirit to bear His fruit in you. The dryness, the hard work, the frustration. Are we going back to the well? If we look at this list, as I said at the start, no one qualifies. We don't even qualify to serve, to be honest. Except in Christ. I love this text from Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe that should be a leadership requirement. How do you speak of people you disagree with? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. And then he goes on, (laughs) Ah, Jesus. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, put up your hand up. If you can do this, the only way that we're able to do this is in Christ. And that's the whole point. This comes after the Sermon of the Mount. You know, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you. You've heard it said, um, don't divorce, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And then, (laughs) you know, all these laws, I tell you what, you want to know how to do this? Follow me. Peter writes um, to the church, see, being made perfect isn't in law, it is through Christ. Uh, Peter writes in chapter 1, verses 13 and 16, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There is something wrong, ladies and gentlemen, particularly if you're a person of faith, if our behaviour is equal to or less than our bosses and our co-workers and our neighbours, if we're behaving the same way, why would they ever ask us about the God that we claim to worship? What does it mean Therefore, to go back to the well that is in Christ. So that I wouldn't be someone who simply conforms to the patterns of behaviour in our community, but instead says, I am holy. I have been set apart by God, for God, in His purposes and out of His love. And we need to remember this when something goes pear-shaped in the church. Serving is more than the task. 
It is also a character being transformed into the likeness of Jesus as we invite others to consider who he is. Our desire to lead, to contribute, it's not just about my position. It's about our willingness to have our hearts transformed into the likeness of Jesus so that I can serve him and therefore serve his body and therefore bless the wider community so that others too would know the joy of declaring Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. So as a team come up, what's your next step? What's your one decision this week? And I know maybe some of you, made, you've, you know, I'm asking the same question over a few weeks and maybe you've made a decision a few weeks ago and you're still wrestling with that. That's fine. Stay with that one decision. I'm not asking you to pile decision on top of decision on top of decision. If you're still in one decision that you believe God is working on you, I want to cheer you on. Ask someone to pray with you in it, for you. But what's your next step in just declaring God as the one who will shape your character? What's your next step in going to the well and discovering the refreshment and renewal that is in Christ so that his character can be made whole in us? Is it about taking the next step to saying, right, oh, Jesus, I'm going to be all in. I want to commit to following you. And maybe it's about, or oh, I'm going to be all in and I'm going to get baptised in a couple of weeks. Go and talk to someone. Go and ask someone to pray with you, to help you, to walk with you, to cheer you on. Is it committing to a life group that will bring you comfort and encouragement, that will rebuke you and challenge your behaviour, your attitude, who will pray for you? Is it committing to, to a ministry? You know, for the next 12 months, I'm going to commit to this ministry. Now, it's not a lifetime agreement. Test it out. What can I do so that God continues to shape my character and my heart in a way that it informs my behaviour so that I would be a blessing to others?